I've already said that, right? Open your Bibles up this morning to um, Luke chapter 17. And what we're in is in a series this fall um, about obedience. And there's a lot of different, I guess, angles and stuff that we're talking about in regards to obedience. But what, what I've been asking the question of us, all of us, is what are we holding back? What are you holding back in regards to your relationship with God, in, in regards to time, in regards to serving, in regards to whatever it may be. But it all comes down to obedience. What are we holding back in regards to being obedient to the Word of God? And so we, we've looked a couple times. We, we first started looking at the Lord's Supper in Luke 22 and just that Christ held nothing back. He was fully obedient, without hesitation. I guess you could say he went to the cross. I know he had a prayer, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, then, then take it. But, but yet he went fully and completely to the cross for us so that we may have life. We looked in the middle of Luke 17 a couple weeks ago about the healing of the ten lepers. And so I want to come back to the beginning of Luke 17. So this has been our text and will continue to be our text as the Gospel of Luke. But also looking at Acts chapter 5 is really where our theme is coming from, that Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and they kept back a portion of the proceeds. Most people were bringing um, the fullness of, of what they were selling or all people were bringing the fullness of what they were selling and laying at the apostles' feet. And so we looked at this word a couple weeks ago to hold back that in the Greek, it's the only mention of this word in the New Testament. And uh, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, it's mentioned one time as well. So if you take the Greek translation of, the, of what we have, know as the Bible, it's only mentioned twice. And the second time is in Joshua, or in the, in the Old Testament Septuagint part, is in Joshua chapter 7, after they go to Ai and they're defeated. And God says to the Israelites, you've been unfaithful. So, so in New Testament, it's translated a little bit more, maybe to our liking, keep back or hold back. But in the Old Testament, it's talking about being unfaithful. And we looked at the word a little bit deeper, robbing, traitor. There's certain aspects that to break faith. And so as we're in this series, we're really asking God to convict us and show us areas that maybe we're holding back. Or if we want to go further to say, maybe we're being unfaithful. Maybe there's areas where we're not giving God everything. And we can even say that we're robbing God of something. And so that's where we're at this morning. We're going to um, jump into Luke chapter 17. And what Luke has done, or I guess what Jesus is doing, is, is starting in Luke 13, there's a question that Jesus is asking, or people are asking, uh, Jesus is asking this as well, is what must I do, or, or really maybe it's better this way, who will participate in God's kingdom? Who will be part of of God's kingdom. And we think about the question that we've been asking, what are we holding back? Who will be part of God's kingdom? They really go hand in hand in a lot of ways. They really are, are asking the same thing. And I think sometimes as Christians, what we do is, is we study God, we study his ways, we try to understand him as much as we can. And we try to figure out, okay, God, what's maybe the minimum or what's the, the minimum plus one? That, that we need to do in order to be part of the kingdom, but yet still hold on to certain things that we want to hold on to. Sometimes I tell my girls, hey, I love you, infinity plus one. You know, can you add one to infinity or something? But sometimes we do that with God. God, I, I love you this much, and because I know I have eternal life, I know I have forgiveness, I know I have this, and I'll, I'll add just one more or two more things. So when I compare myself to someone else, I'm just a little bit better. But yet that's the wrong mentality that, that what Luke is saying or what Jesus is saying is recording the, the, the words of Jesus. There's a different mentality that we have to give it all. We have to be all in. We saw that with the, uh, the healing of the ten lepers. 
You know, one understood the depravity, understood what Christ had done for him to give his life back to him. So he came back and he thanked him. The other nine, yes, they were, they were grateful, but yet they were still focused upon themselves. And as we live as, as believers, as we live as Christians, it's not always about ourselves. In fact, it's never about ourselves. It's really about Christ. We sang it this morning. Jesus be the center of it all. And you love that song? It has a good tune. But the words are powerful if you think about it. We can't just mouth those words and say, Jesus be the center of it all, and go live a different way. And so as we come into Luke 17, there's kind of three parts of, this, uh, of these verses, uh, 1 through 10, we're going to be looking at. The first part is going to be speaking really to his disciples. The whole time he's going to be speaking to his disciples. But the first two verses and part of three, he's really speaking about the Pharisees. And so he says this in verse 1. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one they come through. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. Now what he's talking about, he's talking to the disciples about the Pharisees. Remember earlier he's talking to the disciples about the leaven. Be careful the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees. And again, he's beginning to look at the Pharisees and say, hey, be careful. Because what has been kind of the cry of the people of Israel, particularly maybe the leadership of Israel, is we want the Messiah to come. We want God to speak to us. We want to see God. And God has sent prophets. He sent people after people after people who have kind of pointed to Christ. And in this hour, Jesus is here, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the truth. And the Pharisees are kind of standing in the way. No, no, you don't go that way. It's a power thing. You know, they're all about themselves. And Jesus is saying, whoa, be careful. Offenses here is, is actually better translated as stumbling blocks or one who puts down a trap, one who puts down a stumbling trap. Woe to those people. And he's saying, hey, woe to those Pharisees. Woe to those who do that. And he's not just talking to the Pharisees. The application to us would be he's talking to anyone who puts a stumbling block in front of someone else. Whether it be teaching false doctrine or whether it be abusing the liberty that we have in Christ or something in between. He's saying be careful because it's better if they, if they hung this millstone around their neck and they were thrown in them, they threw themselves into the sea. It's better that you end your life than to cause someone else to stumble. That's pretty strong words that Jesus is saying. But as we go into verse 3, and this is kind of the focus of this text, and this is really where I want us to camp out this morning, is these next few verses. He says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now this kind of cuts a little bit different than maybe some of the things we're taught, some of the things that we're, we're, we read in other places of the Bible. Someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek, be willing to forgive. But it's saying rebuke the person. We'll get to that in a second. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, interesting words that Jesus is saying. So he's talking to Jesus' disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about unity. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about how we interact as family members, how we interact as friends, how we interact as church members, how we interact with our neighbors, those that we work with, really all pertaining to relationships. And he's saying, you're going to have issues in relationships. We know that. We see that day to day. There's relationships with issues or with relationships. We, we, you know, maybe you were driving here this morning. And there was a, uh, an issue, and you're saying, you know, what, what are we even talking about? 
You know, maybe argue about which fo football team is better, something more shallow. Maybe argue about food. Maybe argue about something a little more spiritual. There's always going to be something in relationships. And Jesus said we have to be careful to protect the relationships, particularly within the body of believers. Amen. Now, as we look at this, Jesus tells his disciples, if someone sins, or actually before that, he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, relationships are hard, and so I think it asks the question, what then is a sin or an offense that a brother or sister may offer to us? Now, you know, do we nitpick on everything? Well, that person said this, or this person didn't bring me a cookie, this person didn't do that. Or is it something a little bit deeper? I think it's something maybe a little bit deeper than that. Did she not bring you a cookie? <laughs> See, I'm hitting on something this morning, right? <laughs> So do you nitpick or do you not? Here's what I believe as, as, as you study the word and you see this over and over. is if, if someone says something to me or doesn't say something to me or does something or doesn't do something and, and I feel offended in some way, first and foremost, I need to go to God. Amen. With anything, I need to go to God. If I need healing, I need to go to God. If I need wisdom, I need to go to God. First and foremost, I need to go to God because the problem may be in my own heart. It may be that I'm reacting in a fleshly way. Or maybe I'm not extending grace in the way that I need to extend grace. So I go to God and I begin just to pour that out to God and let Him speak to it. And sometimes that's not what I want to hear. Because sometimes I want to hold on to the right to get someone back. I want to hold on to the right that, hey, they said something to me and so they deserve to feel the same pain that I have felt in some way. But as I go to God and I allow him to, to do whatever he needs to do on my heart, a lot of times there's a grace that's extended, and I'm able to extend a grace to someone else. And I think that's how we, we're supposed to live. But yet there's sometimes when you come away, and there's still just something stirring in your heart. It's just not the peace. It's just not settled. We go back to the cross then, I believe. We go back to God, and we begin to say, God, hey, you're working, but you know there's still this here. Happens maybe a couple times and it's still there. Now I think we're, we're talking about this text a little bit more and, and what we're supposed to do. It says, we are then to go and talk to the person. It says, rebuke him. Now, maybe we've misunderstood the word rebuke sometimes. Rebuke is something that can be sharp and it can be, it can be pointed, but it's speaking the truth, I think, in love. It's, it's confronting, which again, we don't like that word confronting, but the Greek here, that's what it's implying is a confrontation, not in the way that we think of confrontation. It's, it's having a dialogue, but sometimes we, we want different degrees upon the word, but beginning to say, look, you've offended me. What you said. What we like to do so many times is suppress it, to keep it down. We think we're being, you know, honorable to God because we're, we're pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. But that bitterness is stirring inside of us, that anger stirring inside of us. And I don't know if anyone ever grew up this way, but sometimes there's an explosion. Maybe, maybe you're this way now. Sometimes there's an explosion where the dam breaks. And you can say all hell breaks loose. Maybe that's what it is. But something breaks loose, right? And it's just not good. And really, Jesus is saying, let's not get it to that place. Let's, if we value relationships, <laughs> yeah, it's very kind, isn't it? <laughs> if we value relationships and we value our brothers and our sisters, whether they're in our family, whether they're in our church, whether they're friends, then we're able to have these, these conversations. We're able to come and talk to each other. And we're able to, to say, hey, in response to that, 
yeah, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And there's repentance that, that takes place. Let's read it again. It says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. We come in love, not in harshness. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he doesn't repent, we forgive him. If he repents, though, we forgive him, and we continue to offer that forgiveness. Now, most of the time, it's easy to forgive someone one time, wouldn't you say? Maybe, maybe it's easier. Maybe it's easier to say than that. If Craig does something to me, okay, I'll forgive him. Maybe, maybe he didn't know or, or whatever, I can forgive him. A second time, maybe I can forgive him again. But you know, the rabbis in Jesus' time said, if you can forgive someone three times in your lifetime for the same offense, you're a perfect person. Jesus says, let's double that and add one. And do it in a day. Now, I think we're familiar with this text. We're familiar with a lot of this. And so sometimes we say, okay, I got it. I'll forgive, not a problem. I'll continue to forgive, not a problem. I'll forgive, not a problem. But if we look in the mirror and we ask ourselves that question, what am I holding back? I think sometimes we, if we're really true and allow the Holy Spirit to speak, we're going to find there's some stuff that's still there that maybe we're holding on. Maybe we haven't offered the forgiveness for someone who repents. You know, it's hard sometimes in close relationships, um, in a family, for example, because you see all that stuff come out because you're probably a little bit more comfortable in a family, in, in, a, in the family nucleus, that, you know, someone says, hey, I'm going to clean up my room, and then they don't, you still forgive them. You know, what does Christ do with us? Does he say, well, you sinned again, that's the extent of my forgiveness, you're on your own now, buddy. No, he continues to forgive us, continues to put it out in front of us and say, you are forgiven. We are to forgive over and over and over. And I don't think this is a new message. We've probably heard this before. The disciples' response is very interesting here. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You see, I think they had two options here. One is they could say, wow, Jesus, there's another hard teaching. We're just going to kind of push back a little bit from that. You know, I, I hear you, but I don't think it applies to me. Maybe that's out of the wrong context. Maybe that was, you know, for an older generation. Things that we say, if you think about it, in regards to God's word. Or they could say, Okay, we'll do it. Maybe their heart's not quite there, but we're going to do it because they've seen Jesus come through time and time before. But they said, how can we do it? Oh, we've got the answer. Jesus, increase our faith. And if you increase our faith, then we can do it. And Jesus says, I'm glad you brought up the, the issue of faith because I want to talk to you about faith. He says in verse 6, If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Faith of a mustard seed. Anyone ever seen a mustard seed before? The smallest of all seeds, but yet when it's planted, it grows huge. This huge tree, this, this mustard thing, that's the plant tree thing that's in the, in the garden. It's like a piece of salt. It's that small. And he says, if you have that faith, you can do this. What he's telling them is not about the quantity of faith. It's about the quality of faith. It's about taking the faith that you have and beginning to put it into action. It's being a doer of the word. It's saying you can forgive someone seven times, but it starts with you forgiving them the first time. You can do this, but it starts with you not just talking about it, but getting to step out, putting faith into action. The size of a mustard seed. It's the same as when you plant the mustard seed 
it begins to grow. You don't see the plant. It takes some time. But as you take that first step of forgiveness or first step of whatever, God begins to do something. The second time, it's a little bit easier. See, most of us have probably forgiven someone at some point already. And so it's a little bit easier. If you're not, if you're not jaded because you, you've, you've been hurt by that, you've allowed God to, to heal the heart in, in some form, or at least allowing that to take place, it's easier because you've done it once or you've done it twice, you've done it three times to continue to forgive someone. It's faith in action. He's saying you have the faith. Now, how many times do we say this to God, not just in regards to forgiveness, but in regards to anything? Stepping out of the boat or holding something back or being obedient to his word. God, that's big. You're going to have to increase my faith on that. He says, you already got the faith. Put it into action. Step out. Step out on the water. We've been talking about that for a year, getting out of the boat. God's calling us into some certain area or God's asking us to go talk to someone or to pray with someone or, or to step greater into the purposes that God's called you into. And sometimes we're just immobilized, we're paralyzed because, Lord, I don't have the faith. It's not the right time. I need to get into my word more. And God says, it's time to step out. Step out because you have the mustard seed of faith. He goes on here to begin to tell about servants in the house. Because when we begin to step out and we begin to put faith into action, there's an increase in power. There's an increase in anointing. There's an increase, and Jesus knows this. And he's beginning to, to tell the disciples, look, when you have this increase in power, I want you to know that I still own the car. You borrow the car. You're a passenger in the car, but I still own it. See, this is what he says, verse, verse 7. Which of you, having a servant tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in the, from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you can eat and drink. Does he not, or does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? The servant obeys because he's the servant. See, many times our relationship with God is, Lord, I will be obedient. And because I was obedient, I expect some reward. I expect that now you're going to do this, 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 and this. God doesn't promise that. God wants us to be obedient, and I believe as we are obedient, there's blessings that come. But many times we say, God, you move, and then I'll follow. And what we talked about last time with the ten lepers is the ten, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest in Jerusalem. They immediately just got up and went. They didn't say, well, you haven't healed us yet. You haven't prayed over the spot. You haven't done this or that. They just went without hesitation. And God wants us to be obedient in the same way. Many times what we begin to do is we, we want to make God our own master. We want to make God kind of our own kind of good luck charm in some ways. Because, God, I need you. God, I want this. We are obedient because God loves us. He finishes in verse 10. He says, in the same way when you have done all you were commanded, you should say, we are good for nothing servants. We've only done our duty. You know, in context, Jesus is dealing with the pride of the Pharisees, reminding the disciples don't be prideful. Don't be prideful as, as God, as I move through you, as, as the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills you and baptizes you, as you begin to do great things. Don't be filled with this pride. Remember who you serve. Remember your, who you're a servant of. When we go back here to verse 3 and 4, he says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day 
and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. When I read these verses, it reminds me so much of the parable of the unmerciful servant who was forgiven this great, great debt, begged for mercy, and the master gave him mercy. That servant went right out, and there was another servant who owed him just a small amount of money, and he was unmerciful to that servant. said, no, no, until you can pay it, throw him in jail. How many times do we put ourselves in very similar situations in regards to relationship? Sometimes we forget about the debt that has been forgiven of us. We talked about this a couple times ago, the lamb, the Old Testament part of the lamb being brought to the temple, the innocent animal being brought and and us laying our hands, if, if we were the ones doing this, upon the lamb and our sins would be transferred. The guilty who was us, we would transfer our sins to the lamb and then that lamb's throat would be cut and the blood would pour out and that blood would be used to cover our sins. The depravity of this And how Christ in the same way is our innocent lamb. As John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and we stood with Christ or we stand with him and we lay our hands upon him and our sin is transferred to him and he goes to the cross for each and every one of us. That when we understand that, that someone who was innocent took our sin upon him so that we may have life, it puts it into perspective that, Lord, we're your servant. Lord, you didn't have to do this, but you did. This debt that was so huge could not be paid off. You forgave. The same with the leper. The one who came back, he understood his depravity. He understood that in leprosy, your life is over. You're a dead man walking. He understood that his life was over. He was in a a leprosy camp, but he never could go back to his family. He never could be with his wife. He never could be with his children. He never could be there for graduation or, or bury his parents or do any of that stuff. His life was over. And Christ healed him. So when he came back, he was grateful for the life that had been given to him. In the same way we have been given life, God has forgiven us. We didn't deserve this forgiveness, but yet he chose to give it to us. And a lot of times what we do is we hold on to unforgiveness towards others. Christ doesn't put that pressure on us. He doesn't put a condition, well, you did this, and and until you fix that, I'm I'm not going to love you, or I'm not going to have that same relationship with you. Christ says, I don't care, I forgive you. Don't do it again, but we do it again. I forgive you. Don't do it again. Forgive us over and over and over. But yet we want to crank that standard up to a different level with others. If someone sins against us, offends us, puts a stumbling block before us, let's go to God. Let's get, a, let's get that taken care of. And then there's times that, we, that it's still there and we need to go talk to the person. We need to have that conversation. A merciful servant, all he needed to do was to extend the same grace that was extended to him, but yet he chose something different. Many times you look around in, in relationships, it's, it's about unforgiveness. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago, just um, locally, but you guys wouldn't know this person, and it's all, he was just unloading on me about a relationship. It's all about unforgiveness on his part. And when I began to talk to him about unforgiveness, he didn't want to hear it. Because he wanted to hold on to the rights of what he deserved. We gave up our rights when we became believers. We say, Lord, here, my life is not my life anymore. As Paul said, I've chosen to be crucified. It's different sometimes. And that's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes this is why we repass these words because it's hard to do. And that's why the disciples said, Lord, 
increase our faith. It just says you have the faith to do it. We have the faith to put this into action. We have to put it into action. We can't hold back. So my encouragement to all of us is, you know, in regards to forgiveness, is there someone or something that we're just holding? Maybe we just need to, to leave it right there with God. Maybe there's something we need to go and talk to that person because we just keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. Let the Holy Spirit convict you on that. And if they ask for forgiveness and, and they repent, which is not just a confession, but a change of behavior, we offer forgiveness. And we continue to offer forgiveness. We continue to offer forgiveness because that's what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's, it's piercing. Lord, so many times we know we've been wronged. We know that we've not been treated right. We know things sometimes are stacked against us. It's not fair. And Lord, when we read your word like this, sometimes it's, it's even harder because it means we're having to give up certain rights, certain things that we don't want to. But Lord, we really can't argue with your word. And we ask that you help us to put these words into action. As difficult as it is to forgive someone who has wronged us, who they're in the wrong and we know it. They've hurt us. Maybe they've hurt us repeatedly. Lord, help us to have the strength to extend that forgiveness, Lord. Thank you that you've extended forgiveness to us. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Strengthen us to, to walk through this step by step. Lord, we're not going to do it perfectly the first time. But Lord, I pray for all of us, these burdens that we may be carrying in regards to, to bitterness or frustration or whatever, that we would just come to you with them. And Lord, speak to them. Lord, we know there's a righteous anger that is there. And, and, and with that, there's things that we do act on. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for healing over all of us. The words, I know we say, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. Lord, that's, we know that's not true. We know words do hurt. Lord, I thank you just for the teaching that you gave to your disciples about relationships. Relationships are not easy. We, we thank you that they're not easy because you work in us and you work in others. Lord, help us just to continue to understand the depth of your sacrifice for us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for what you're doing with us. Continue to transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want our prayer ministers to come forward this morning. If you need prayer, they're here to pray with you.